Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. See you all tonight. Is that powerful worship tonight or what? I just, I just wanted to keep going, Franklin. Come on, let's, let's, let's keep going for another hour of worship because God inhabits the praises of his people, does he not? Amen, amen, amen. Hey, open your Bibles to the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter one, we're gonna continue on. We've been doing a study through the book of Philippians. Hope as we go through the book, the book is going through you. That's my heart, that's my desire that it will speak to your heart uh, tonight. And, and we've been studying this, we're in chapter one. The sermon series is called The Fat Life, not F-A-T, but P-H-A-T. Okay, I know you passed Pastor P, you're spelling it wrong. No, it's an acronym, all right, for those ebonics uh, learners, okay? Each of those represents a, a different concept of each chapter. Chapter one is all about passion, all about passion, right? We looked at verses one, three, and that was about Paul's passion for people. Last week, Pastor Sean preached on the passion for prayer, and we studied that last week. And tonight, we're gonna talk about the passion for preaching, for preaching. We'll look at verses 12 to 18, and next week we'll look at Paul's passion for God. And if you look closely, there are certain things in this book that brought Paul great joy. This book is all about joy, and passion is an expression of that joy. And we read throughout the scriptures in chapter one, you'll discover that in verse four, prayer brought him great joy. In verse 18, you're gonna see here, preaching brought him great joy. They're gonna see in verse 26, God brought him great joy. And out of this joy, you're gonna experience great passions and emotions. And so one of the greatest joys we can experience is just sharing our faith. I don't know about you, but I, I love just telling people my story. I love just telling people about the gospel, telling people about what Jesus has done. And that should be something that just comes natural because if, if you know the answer to sickness and you know the answer to disease, you wanna tell other people that have the disease how they can be made well. And so part of that is just sharing our faith, sharing the gospel, sharing our story, because there's a lot of hurting and broken people that need to hear the gospel. The Bible says that the, that the wise man wins souls. The wise man wins souls. And we know that angels rejoice when one comes to faith. God likes to throw parties, right? He likes to attend parties too. I want you to know that, right? The first miracle was at a wedding. I just wanted to let you know that turning water to wine. So he loves to go where the action is. God, Jesus is always in the midst of everything involved in the party and stirring up things because he's just revealing who he is. We know that Matthew 28 gave us a great commission to go make disciples of, of all nations, baptize them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And he said, Lo, I'll be with you until the end of the age. He closes Mark Closes Gospel of Mark in verse six, chapter 16 with going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every living being. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. What, what are we called to do? We're called to win people to Christ, to share the gospel. And then we're called to disciple them. And then we're called to send them out, right? Win, disciple, send is the simple formula that I used to learn under and grow and send people out that they would share their story. Why, why do we do that? So people would have a new life, a new hope, and a new future. That's why. Because we know that a new life is found in the Son. 
First John says that he who has the son has life, but he who does not have the son does not have life. But we're also promised in the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, he writes this, for I know the thoughts and I, I think towards you, says the Lord, the thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We know that there's a, a future, right? We have a, a new future because we're going to get into Philippians chapter 3 where he calls us that we are citizens of heaven for which we eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know Miss Anna knows that really well because she was a woman without a country for many, many years. But she says, I don't know. She was trying to figure out whether she was an Ethiopian citizen or American citizen. They couldn't find her paper, but she kept saying, doesn't matter, Pastor, because I'm a citizen of heaven. We are citizens of of heaven. In 1929, we know that the stock market crashed and J.C. Penney was affected by it. So he became so discouraged and depressed and worried that he was going to lose everything. He thought he would die. And this brought, him, this, this brought depression or brought him to, uh, to his own knees. And, 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 that, and because of the stress and the pressure, it brought shingles upon his life. And he was so distraught that they had to hospitalize him. And thinking he wouldn't make it through the night, he wrote his wife and kids a, a farewell letter. But when morning came and he woke up, he woke up from the sounds of a choir in the chapel singing, God will take care of you. And then something supernatural happened to J.C. Penney's. He said, I felt as if I had been instantly lifted out of the darkness of the dungeon into a warm, brilliant sunlight. I felt as if I had been transformed from hell to paradise. I felt the power of God as I've never felt before. How the example of the saints changed the life of J.C. Penny. God will never limit. God will never li be limited in how he preaches and brings the word. It might be through singing. It might be through a, a, a voice of a young kid. It might be through a circumstance. It might be through affliction. It might be whatever he uses to draw you to Jesus. He will use everything. We're going to be in chapter 1 of Philippians, starting at verse 12 to 18 tonight. I'm going to read it. It says this, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren, the, most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am pointed for this defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I ask tonight your Holy Spirit speak. Lord, I ask tonight that, Father, as we look at your word, you make it plain. You make it understandable. You bring it to our ears, Lord, and your spirit will translate it to our hearts that we may receive and hear, that it will equip us and empower us and fill us, that we will be joyful. And out of the overflow of our joy, Lord, we preach the love of Jesus. Father, not in a condemning spirit, but with a joyful spirit. Not with a judgmental spirit, but with a, a loving spirit. Because we know that your love covers a multitude of sin. We know that love is, is patient. And Father, we know that you've been patient with us. So you're called us to be patient with others. But Father, you've also given us a responsibility. You've always given us a task. That we be passionate about preaching 
passionate about sharing, passionate about giving ourselves away. And as we look at the life of Paul and his passion, I hope that we can glean a little bit, hold on to something that might just stir us in our spirit, that we might walk in passion with such great, strong emotion, with such enthusiasm because God is in us. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Remember, Paul is writing this book from a Roman prison. So you, when he writes about rejoicing and he writes about joy, he writes about all these different things, he's, he's gaffled up in prison. He's locked up for the, for the cause of Christ. And yet he can have a, a joyful spirit. But even in his incarceration, he's consecrated and set apart for a purpose. And he knows that purpose. We'll get into that in a minute. But the first thing I want you to understand that as we talk about a passion to preach, the first thing is that we preach by example. We preach by the example. The Bible is made up, we know, of two books. The Old Testament and the New Testament. 66 books written by 40 different authors over 15 hundred years. And the Bible contains the testimony of people's lives. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You could read it all there. God doesn't shy away from all of it. But I want to tell you something tonight. Our testimony is important. Our story is important. Our narrative is important because it's powerful. Because that's the first thing people are going to look at. That's the first thing people are going to see. Now, I'm not talking about giving a testimony. I'm talking about being a living testimony. By living out this faith, by walking it out, that, that as we're, we're, we're a picture, we're a story, we're like a, a movie on, on, on the big screen as people watch us. They have to see this thing lived out. I know Pastor Pope said, I know a couple of weeks he preached on this. He said, it's the, you know, we know Francis of Sissy, he said, preach at all times when necessary, use word. And you also heard that some people, you might be the only Bible that people, that people might read. Yeah, you've heard all those little one-liners before. But we are the introduction to Christ for some people. We're, we're the door for some people. We're the entryway. We're the ones that invite. We're the ones that people look to to understand these things. You know that the Bible says that angels in heaven watches the church to understand the things of God. The, the church, the bride, the people are the reasons why people can look and say, man, something's different. I want that. And so as we talk about preach by example, my example, your example, furthers the gospel. Look at verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He says, I want you to know. I want you to be acquainted with something. I want you to know what's happening, right? I want you to be familiar with my situation. He's, he's writing to the brethren. He's writing to the believers, the brothers and sisters of Philippi. Thousands of miles away, hundreds of thousands of miles away, he's writing. He said, I just want you to know my narrative. I just want you to know my story. Before I even talk about this preaching, I just want you to grasp something here about my circumstances. What's happening to me? I want to tell you about my situation. As I'm sitting in this cold prison cell in a dark dungeon, it's probably pretty humid. I haven't eaten much. I don't even know what outside looks like because I haven't seen the sun rise and the sun sets. 
and I'm gaffled up to a centurion, I'm gaffled up to a soldier for 24 hours a day. But I want you to understand something. I love this. It's all well with my soul. It's all good. It's all working out for the good. Paul couldn't, Paul could have easily be embittered by his circumstances and the situation. God, where are you? Because I followed you. Why is my life so difficult? God, where are you in the afflictions? Where are you in my troubled times? Where are you, God? I'm deaf. I love you, God. Why did I get thrown in jail? We can look at our situations in life the, in the very same way. But I think Paul was prepped for this time. Can you imagine? Think about your own life and then compare this story, this narrative, Paul's life found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. And I think Paul was being prepared for what he was going to face because we know that Paul would ultimately lose his life to the gospel. Historically, we know that Paul would get his head beheaded, his head cut off for the faith. But look at his story. Look at all he had gone through for his love for Jesus. What for a passion to preach, he says this, I am more in labor, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prison more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in deep sleep. In journey often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in the perils in the wilderness, in the perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fasting often, in cold and nakedness. How was your day today? I think Paul went through some hard times. He went through some difficult times. And he says, I count it all joy. He says, Paul would later write to Thessalonians to be thankful in all things. Why? Because he always kept his eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of his faith. Guys, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what trial and tribulation, what difficulty, what storm, what shipwreck, what peril you've gone through. God is faithful and God is good. He's always faithful and he's good. And Paul understood, regardless of the situation, the circumstances, God was going to always use it. He was always used to further the gospel. He writes that in his, in his writing. He says, which has happened to me, brethren, the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel. The gospel means good news. For the advancement of the work of Jesus on the cross. We sang about his love tonight. He's enough for us. He demonstrated that when he went to the cross. And he was buried and rose again for the forgiveness. And he's coming back again. And this love is enough, and this gospel is what we share. That's what's the furtherance of the gospel. My chains, my situations have opened up doors like never before. The COVID situation has opened up doors like never before. We have people watching online from, I've seen as far as South Africa to, to, to back east, all over the country, people watching online, our services. Joining us on prayer, join us in our studies, they're all watching. I found out that, that in our Awanas program, our kids were, were, were doing the Awanas ministry, and there are some families that are from another state were joining our Awanas program and joining in and serving their kids through our Awanas program. They don't even come to our church in another state. 
No matter what the situation is, the gospel is still moving. The kingdom of God is still moving. You may not see it, but it's always moving. It's always happening. And so Paul shares about that. It's, it's advancing. It's moving forward. In fact, this word furtherance means it's a Greek military term referring to the army engineering who goes before the troops to open the way into a new territory. It clear, the one who is furthest means to clear debris and obstacles. God is always making a way. If you get up in the morning and you pray, God, just give me an opportunity to share my story or share the gospel. Trust me, God will make a way. You just got to be ready. You just got to be watchful. You just got to be on call. Because if you pray that prayer, God will make a way. He will do that because that's his mission and that's his purpose. And he took a bad situation and he turned it for good. You only got to look at the Joseph story in the book of Genesis, right? Everything went all bad for that young man, right? Can you imagine having 11 brothers who turned their back on you? You talk about sibling rivalry. They wanted him dead. They were going to kill him, but one said, no, no, no. They eventually slowed him into slavery. He went to Potiphar's house. Right? He was in there at Potiphar's house. And, and in being in Potiphar's house, he, he rose. God had anointing on him. He rose up to leadership second under Potiphar. And then his wife accused him of rape. He said, I can't. His wife was pursuing and have sexual relationships, but he would not because he said, I cannot sin against my God. And then she said a thing against him and lied about him. And that because of that, he got thrown into jail. He got, he's in jail, falsely accused by this woman. And then he's in jail and he meets a, a baker and a servant, right? And he, he interprets the dream and he raises to as a trustee in prison. And guess what? He tells the dream of these two guys. One dies, one lives. One goes back to, to be under Pharaoh. And he says, remember me. And they forget about him for several years. But never once in the story do you hear him complain. And then Pharaoh has the, the dream, right? And he can't find anybody to interpret the dream. But the baker says, I know what I forgot. He even says, man, I messed up. I forgot. I forgot Joseph. They got Joseph out of jail. He comes over to, e to, to Pharaoh. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh says, snap, brother. I'm going to put you second under me. And he, he raised from, he basically went from the palace to the prison to the penthouse to a second under Pharaoh. And he wrote this after his brothers come back after many, many years. His brothers came and he reconciles with his brothers. And he wrote this, what you meant for evil against me, God meant it for good in order to bring about it as this day to save many people's lives. In all the span of many, many years, that's how he summed up his experience. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. You don't know how God's working through the trials and situations in your life, but God's going to work it to good. He's going to work it to good. So don't throw your fist up to God when difficult times come. Say, thank you, Jesus, because you're working something out that I haven't seen yet. You're working it out for my good, Lord. You're, you're making a way for me, even though I don't like it. I don't even like the way it's going. A lot of times we follow our own circumstances because of the poor decisions we made, and God bails us out. But Joseph went through some difficult times, but he praised God in it. Paul is going through some difficult times, but he's using his circumstances to honor God. You have to understand that our example wins others to Christ. Look at verse 13. 
of Philippians chapter one. So that has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Has become evident. That word evident there. To make manifest or visible or known what has been hidden or unknown. To manifest whether by words, deeds, or in other way. What it means here is become evident. People have seen it. They see what's going on in my life. And the whole palace has seen it here. The palace guards, the military individuals. You know, we have gone to many, many, many memorial services. And people share about the lives of people and what they accomplish. And I love to go to, to funerals of the saints who have gone and passed away because it's a celebration and we get to hear the story of that saint and all, saint and all that God had done through him. We get to, to hear that, the testimony of the saints, the ones who knew the Lord. Paul's bearing a testimony with his life to the palace guards there. The Bible says that you'll know you're my followers by the fruits that you bear. There'll be evidence of your faith all over the place. There'll be fingerprints of your faith all over the place. I love little kids when they're small, right? And they run around the house and, and, and they, they, they get their fingerprints all over the windows, the back doors and there's glass and they make a mess. People get, people, people get mad. Oh man, look at the kids making a mess. No, 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 no. That means there's life in that house. That means there's fingerprints. That means there's evidence of play. There's evidence of something. May the fingerprints of God in our life be evident to people. May it be evident that we're living out our, our faith. Galatians 5.19 challenges to not walk in the flesh because there's things evidence of the flesh as much as there are things evident of the spirits, right? We're called to walk in the spirit and according to the spirits. When he said that he, there was evidence to the palace guards, there are over 9,000 servants that worked Caesar's household. Philippians 4.22 called them that they were, that the gospel had penetrated Caesar's household. We'll read that in chapter four of Philippians. From his chains in prison, he was touching the palace. You don't know what God's gonna do. You'd be locked up, he'd be touching your friends at home. Right? God will use whatever he wants to use to touch you. So what did Paul do? He asked that, what do I have? God, what do I have to further this gospel? What do I have to be an example? His chains. He's by chains or for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm locked up for the, for, the, for the, you would think that somebody would go to Paul and visit him and they would have a prison ministry, but Paul had a prison ministry touched outside the prison. But his tools were the chains. Like Moses' rod and David's slingshot, that was his tools. His chains actually released him. Though he was not free, he was still free. He had freedom in prison. Paul, Paul didn't curse his chains, but consecrated them. They're set apart. These things are holy chains. The, these chains under the, that, that want to bind me are used for God's glory. You know what? Afflictions in your life might be the very chains that God uses for his glory. Disease in your life might be the very thing God uses in his do in, for his glory. 
We don't like to hear things like that. His chains allowed him to, to preach to the lost because he chained to a Roman guard for 24 hours a day. And guards would change every six hours. So he had his own ministry to the prison guards. God, if this is my circumstance, if this is my situation, then I'm going to use it for your glory. So I have an audience of one, this Roman guard. Now, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish man, so he would have known the whole Old Testament. So I can imagine he's sitting with a Roman guard, saying, in the beginning, well, in the beginning, God. And he starts spelling out the whole book of Genesis. Then he knew the law. Exodus told a story about Exodus, the deliverance, and he went into Leviticus and Numbers. I can imagine, hey, I got six hours, bro. We're going to do a six-hour Bible study. Some of us have a hard time with 45 minutes. Can you imagine six hours? And he's breaking down the word. But what is he doing? He's revealing the Messiah through the Old Testament. That's what he's doing. In 2 Timothy 2.9, Paul writes a young pastor named Timothy. He says, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I do all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He knew his purpose. He knew his purpose in a situation. And so Paul uses suffering for the good of the gospel. Many of you might not know, but many of us know Maggie. Maggie's in a, in a wheelchair. She's almost a quadriplegic. She goes to our church. She attends our Cantos campus. I've known Maggie for many, many years. She's in a wheelchair because what had happened was she wasn't following the Lord. And she was actually dealing drugs with her family member. But one day a drug deal went bad. She was about eight months pregnant. She had two other kids. One of her family members were killed one day and then the, the gunman came to her house and shot her in front of her kids. Thought she was dead, rushed to the hospital. But that day she lost her little baby boy. But the doctor said, if it wasn't for the blood of the child, you wouldn't have survived. So the child is what saved her life and she's in a wheelchair today. But her afflictions and her struggles today did not stop her. She came to know the Lord. She came to know the goodness of God. And now she gives her testimony. She talks about the blood of her own little child equivalent to the blood of Jesus that saved her life. It's the same blood that saved her life physically. Jesus is the same blood that saved her life spiritually. And now she works with a lot of people that are disabled. And she's doing more for Jesus now than she was ever doing before she even walked. Because God transformed her heart. I'm not saying her life is easy. It's very difficult. She can't even feel in her body. When she drops hot coffee in her leg, she can't feel it. And it just burns her. She can't feel the heat of water because everything's been severed. She's had her hard times too, but she gives glory and honor to praise to God because God has put her in circumstances and situations. And her affliction, though it might be seen as chains, is actually used for the kingdom and God's glory. She speaks at San Diego State all the time to unbelieving professors and students all over the, that come to the class. God will use what he needs to use. He'll use our brokenness. He'll use our struggles to minister to people. Why? Because our example encourages others to preach. Look at 14. 
And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Our example of walking and sharing builds the faith of others. It builds the faith of others. It encourages the saved. It encourages the brethren. He says, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, he's persuaded by power. He has, Paul has a confidence here about the power of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. He, what he's saying is my situation and my chains speak even louder than my words. Phone to keep going on for the cause of Christ. And because of these change, it produced some things in others. It gave others boldness. My captivity empowered others to be bold. How can our, our lives be influential in such a way that it empowers others to share about his love? The bold, to, uh, they, they, they had courage. They, they were willing to, 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 to speak up of the truth and they were willing to not be afraid. They, they spoke without fear. They had everyday conversations with people without fear is what Paul's life did. We know that fear is the, what is the greatest obstacles from us sharing our faith. What if they don't receive our words? What if they reject us? Or what if I don't know what to share? What if I don't have an answer for everything? Let me tell you right now, you're going to fail because it's not about you. So we think it, we think we take it personal when we think, well, what, what, what if this happens to me? What if this happens to me? What if this happens to me? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. That's what they're rejecting. Somebody had to tell us about Jesus for us to be here tonight. So our duty as disciples is to tell others about Jesus. You remember when Peter and John were thrown into prison, prison for preaching their faith. And they were, they were on the chopping blocks for the next day to be, to be executed. But God moved in a supernatural way and opened up the gates for them. In Acts 4.29, it says this, Now the Lord took on their threats to grant your service that we would, with all boldness, that they may speak your words. What was going on is they left the prison guards that night and they went to a prayer meeting after they were incarcerated for their faith, knowing they would be killed. God opened the doors and they went to a prayer meeting. You know what their prayer was? It wasn't, get back at them, God. Get back at those prison guards. You know what their, Peter and John's prayer was? God, give us more boldness to preach your gospel. Give me more strength to preach your gospel. May we have that as a church, a willingness to preach the gospel. Paul later would describe them in Ephesians chapter 6.20, for I am an ambassador in chains, he says. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. May we know that our positions are ambassadors. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're new creations. The old is gone, the new is coming. Now we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We need to proclaim fearlessly. That's our call, just as much as it was Paul's call. 
But we know that man judges the outward. God judges the heart. That's why our example is important, but it does not exempt us from verbally sharing our faith. So we share our faith by example. Here's the second thing. We preach by words. There is an example, but there still needs to be preaching of the gospel. Okay? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And when Jesus gave his commission to the 11, later to the 12, when Paul was added, when he gave his commission, who did he give it to? <laughs> he gave it to a bunch of misfits, thieves, and dropouts. Look at the list of the disciples, right? Peter, James, and John were dropouts. Why were they fishing? When Jesus came to them in Luke chapter 5 and, and saw Peter and Andrew and James and John, why were they fishing? Because they weren't smart enough to make it into the rabbinical Jewish school. So they said, I got an ADD, a GED, so I'm going to get a, a trade. I'm going to become a fisherman. And so they were fishermen. Jesus didn't go to the rabbinical school to get the top dudes. He went to the fishing ponds and he went to the streets and he went to everything. And he said, these are the people. That's why I select you, Matthew, the tax collector. You swindler of your own people. You Benedict Arnold of your own people. You know what? That's why I'm going to get you, Simon the Zealot, you dagger man, you assassin that hated the Roman government and your whole plan was to destroy the Roman government. Look at the diversity of God's elected twelve. Different theologically, different economically, different, all these differences. It's a reflection of his church. To be the mouthpiece of God. The beauty of diversity, yet it's still one. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5 says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, as Paul speaking, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. He selected the least of these because it was going to be by his power that the preaching of his word would go forth. And we're going to say, I know that ain't coming from you. <laughs> it's got to be coming by his spirit. But there are two types of preaching we see here in the passage. 15 through 17. says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. So we see different opposing views, a motive. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my change, but the latter out of love. The word preach means to herald or proclaim here, but there's some bad preaching and there's some good preaching. And the bad preaching, it comes from the flesh, it's, it's negative, it enslaves, right? There's a lot of reason. There are some pastors that preach not because they're anointed. There are some pastors behind pulpits that shouldn't be there. You see them on the TV all the time. They have envy and strife. They're debating and jealousy. Their selfish ambition of power. They canvass for an office. They get people to support them. Just give your money so I could buy a $92 million jet. Come on now. They fleece the flock instead of feed the flock. There's some people that get behind these pulpits for the wrong reason. They're not sincere, it says here, without sincerity. They only cause more harm than they cause good. They only bring more affliction. They cause more pain than necessary. But when you preach the gospel, when there's good preaching, 
It's of the Spirit. It brings freedom. It empowers. It brings goodwill. It brings love. It's not self-seeking. The gospel, the, the gospel preacher, this, this pulpit that I'm behind is a table, but I call it a pulpit. Do you know that we, as I stand here before you, will be held accountable by every word that I bring to you? That the Bible says as a teacher, I'm going to be judged more strictly than you. So I have to be careful what I bring with my words. I got to speak with the spirit and with wisdom. Because I got to stand before God. He's a judgment by the words that I bring. And I'm praying that I bring you the gospel. So that's why you got to be like the Bereans. You got to study the word so that I don't give you the Kool-Aid of the gospel. But I give you the meat of the gospel. For some of y'all, I might just have to give you milk. But we got to move from milk to meat sometime. Paul addressed the Corinthian church. What did he say? I should have came to you as mature, but I come to you as babe. I should have given you meat, but I come to you as milk because you don't know those things. You're not mature enough to know which is good and which is bad. The gospel is good news when we come to faith, but that's the starting line, <laughs> the gospel. But Paul was appointed to preach this gospel Verse 17, be knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel, to stand in the gospel, to be a defender of the gospel. In fact, Jude chapter 3 says, Beloved, while I'm very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for, once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for the condemnation ungodly men who turn their grace of our God into lewdness and deny our Lord and our Lord our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 2 gives a whole litany of false shepherds and false prophets. We need to be students of the word. We need to be apologists. We need to be defenders or protector of the truth of the word. Denzel Washington is one of my favorite, favorite actors. And one of my favorite movies is the book of Eli. You ever seen that movie? Where he has to protect the Bible at any cost. He's a defender of the faith. We have to know the word so we can defend the word. We can stand firm in the word. That's part of preaching the gospel. That's part of putting on the armor. That's part of knowing the sword of the spirit and how it works. Lastly, we need to preach Christ in the gospel. I know it's good news, but we need to preach Christ. Look at, look at verse 18. What then? On that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is priest. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. You know what Paul's saying is, I know there's some bad cats out there, but the gospel is still being preached. It's still being preached. You know what? The world, it sees the cross as foolishness, but the believer, we see it as power, the cross of Christ. It's powerful for us. And so we need Christ-centered preaching. Paul didn't sweat the motive behind the preaching and sharing. He knew God was in control and he found joy in the gospel being preached. There's a day where God's gonna separate the sheep from the goats. That day will come. How do we share Christ? There are different ways by which we share our faith. 
There's, we've seen the Billy Graham way with big festivals, and we've done festivals in the park here. And you, you'll hear preaching from a pulpit to the multitude. That's one way. But maybe we have to be like Andrew, Peter's brother, who was what? He went one by one. Andrew was the one that introduced Peter to Jesus. You, if you were studying Andrew, he's always going to tell people, hey, come with me, I'm going to introduce you to Jesus. Hey, you come with me, let me introduce you to Jesus. There's people that are just one-on-one evangelists, they go one-on-one. So you have people that are multitudes that stand behind pulpits. Other ones are just day-by-day day introducing people to Jesus. And our conversation, it's conversational evangelism. Uh, some of us, you know, we, we, we know the four spiritual laws, right? We know the Romans road. We know all these methods. And, oh, I got to get through it, you know? You ever, you ever get a, a telemarketer call you? And they, they always tell you, you pronounce your name wrong, so you know it's a telemarketer. And you know, they're asking all these questions. We try to interrupt all the questions, but you know they're reading a script. Like, well, let me, oh, I, I, I got to finish the script. <laughs> you know what I mean? Guys, the gospel Though we have the understanding of the gospel, don't make it a script. Let me do Okay, hold on. This is what I have to say. Let me give you the four spiritual laws. People need to know you care. People need to know you're listening. And in that, you're sharing the truth. It's relational. Jesus was relational with everybody he went with. Behold, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean for those who've never heard that? Right? We go in people's houses. We hang out tax collectors and sinners for dinner. He just did life with people and in the midst of doing life, shared the truth about who he was. Guys, we evangelize by preaching Christ, putting Christ centered, by just building relationship with people and sharing, hey, this is what God's done in my life. What does that mean? Well, the Bible just says this. See how simple it is? Simple evangelism, simple relational evangelism. But who is this message for? Luke, the great physician, gives a parable in Luke 14. It says this. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to, said to him, Blessed he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they were all of one accord began to make excuses. He's telling a story. I'm throwing a party, a banquet. Go out and invite people. But when they give the invitation, people begin to make excuses why they couldn't come. And another said, I have fought five yoke, I bought five, book, five yoke of oxen and I'm, I'm going to test them. I, I asked you to have to excuse me. Who buys something has never checked it out? I know we got car max where everybody's driving our car houses. Now we can buy it online, but not me. I'm going to go check out the car before I buy it, right? The oxen, I'm going to check out the oxen before I buy it. To make an excuse, right? Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that the servant came and reported these things to the master, putting family before following Jesus. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as you have commanded and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, go out into highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of these men who were invited shall taste my supper. Go out to the hurting, the poor, hit the streets, hit the hedges, the highs and the lows, the rich and the poor, the highways, the thieves, the, the thuggers. I know a lot of you are shady in here. 
but God saves the shady. You know what I'm saying? He does. Because Matthew 2 says this, it's not only the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We all in the right house, bros, brothers and sisters. We all in the right house, right? Who did he come for? He came for the disabled. Remember the man at the pool at Bethsaida? He came to the, the relationship seeker. Remember the woman at the well? Remember the legalist, the rich young ruler? The homeless, the man named Lazarus? The doubter named Thomas? The fearful Timothy? The prideful Peter? The rich Joseph of Arimathea? And the religious Lazarus? He came for all. Where do you fit into that list? Tonight, he came for us. And so Paul is saying we need to rejoice in the preaching of Christ. We need to celebrate what God has done. We need to celebrate those who received, and we need to celebrate the opportunities. You know what? You may share Christ, and nobody might have received Christ. But celebrate the fact that you shared Christ, that God opened that opportunity. Because you might just be the one who planted the seed. Somebody else is going to water that seed, and God's going to bring the harvest. Be, be, be content with the place that God has placed you for that moment. Many of you know my story. I've been praying for my family 38 years for them to come to know Jesus. Last year, they, my parents came to know Jesus. But I've been praying for 38 years, planting that seed and planting that seed and planting that seed. And I didn't realize this. I didn't realize that my mom was going to a hairdresser who was a completed Jew sharing Jesus with her for 40 years. But I didn't know that until later. You don't know what God's doing. We're just watering the seed. We're just planting the seed. We're just being diligent with what he's given. And when she, before she passed away, she received Jesus. Yesterday, I went to, uh, this week, I went to go visit my dad, and I brought him. He came to know the Lord, and I bought him a new Bible, and I gave it to him last, this, this time I went up this week to give him, I gave him a brand new Bible. He's battling dementia, so I hope he can understand it, but the Spirit will still speak. Guys, as we close tonight, and Jesse's going to come, and the team worship team's going to come, and I'm going to ask you these three questions. Does there need to be a shift in your walk today? In your sharing, does there need to be a shift? Number two, take some time today and share your testimony with somebody this week. Who is it that you can tell your story to this week? And lastly, if you haven't committed yourself to Christ, what hinders you? What hinders you tonight? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, for your love and your blessings and your goodness and mercy and grace. And we thank you for COVID because COVID has brought deliverance for some, brought salvation for some. And I pray for your people tonight as we break bread, we break communion tonight. Lord, it's a symbol of your sacrifice, Lord, for what you've done for us. I pray your blessing upon your people, Lord. I pray tonight that you empower them with a passion to share your love with others. That's part of our mission as a church, as a church universal. Not just New Vision, but the church as a whole. So I pray your blessings now. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.